Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a top-tier commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme, and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I do personal PR for business leaders and entrepreneurs. I also run a PR training firm called Nine Media. If you like this podcast, please do tell your colleagues, share on social and rate it. That's how others find it. Welcome to the Media Insider and this week I'm with Sashandrika Chakrabarti. I hope I said that right. She is a very successful freelance journalist and she's a podcaster herself actually. She's the podcaster of something called The Freelance Pod, which is a brilliant listen. So Sashandrika writes for various places, but what we're going to focus particularly on today is her interviews that she does for New Statesman and several what's known as reporter pieces for Raconteur in the Times. Sashandrika, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to ask, so the New Statesman, you do a lot of celebrity interviews. When I say celebrity interviews, it's not always kind of A-list Hollywood celebrities. It's high-profile people. Classic profile pieces, which is what everyone wants to get when they think about PR and think about getting into the media, the profile pieces the, or the interview is like gold dust. Can you tell us what exactly constitutes something that is profile worthy? So the people I've profiled for the New Statesman include Lauren Laverne, um, Natalie Dormer, Charlie Brooker, twice. What do they have in common? I think like being of the moment is really important. So with Lauren Laverne, she was subbing in for Kirsty Young on Desert Island Discs. So someone being the substitute queen for, for a period yeah. of time while she's ill. It, for anyone who cares about the media, who likes Radio 4, which is everyone listening, I imagine, it's kind of like, who is this person? How is she finding it? What's she doing? How are we marking her out of 10? And she must feel that pressure. So I think, yeah, interviewing someone who's under that focus is kind of, was that, that was kind of interesting to New Statesman. Charlie Brooker has had, he had a book come out about Black Mirror, so all the four seasons leading up to now. And then he had Bandersnatch come out, so that, that was kind of hotly anticipated. And he himself, he, he is quite political in how he speaks, he's a very smart guy. I think Black Mirror is known for predicting the future, and actually a lot of our conversations now are similar to what we say about Black Mirror. There's this new thing with tech, voice-activated stuff, smart speakers, how are they going to change our lives? What are they going to do for us? Are they terrifying? Should we be scared? So I think he's a bit of a cult figure, and I think you've got a new statesman, your guardian reader, they, they kind of like hearing about him. Um, what does the new statement itself, so when you go to an editor, what's their kind of criteria? How would they define what, what makes them say yes or no to a profile? I think it's got to have some link to politics or the issue of the moment. So with Natalie Dormer, what interested me was I, I also thought that she had always been misunderstood by the press, even as a member of the press. I hadn't seen a lot of her work, but I'd, I'd heard a lot of headlines about her. And it just didn't ring true that, that she loves nudity on the sets and loves kind of love scenes. It struck me that there were usually several people on set and every other actress I've heard of has said they're really difficult kind of scenes. So I thought it was an interesting kind of setting the record straight element to it 
but also the fact that with her interview she wanted to talk about Me Too and how that's affected the acting world and how even 10 years ago when she was in her 20s and getting into acting she agreed to a lot more stuff than she might have done now as a woman in her 30s and also with a different climate and I, I kind of sold it on the kind of Me Too, she's outspoken, she has ideas about this, I sold it on that to the editor and they, they liked that so it kind of linked into this actress you already know about well actually this is her experience and the me too stuff applies to someone like her who you think might have a very privileged life um so i think i think it's that sort of thing that people want to see a different side of that person as well it's profile so how does all this work there's a lot might be a lot of prs listening to this in that how much of that interview do you already have when you set out looking for it or how much is it a case of mm, I think there's a story in here somewhere but I need to interview them first it's like a chicken or egg problem isn't it yeah I think I shouldn't say this but I kind of play a bit fast and loose and don't necessarily know what the story is obviously research everyone to a huge extent and it means I I don't have to say as much in the interviews I really prefer interviews where I leave them a lot of space to talk and I do leave a lot of silence and I try not to direct it too much unless it's going way off. So I think, well, we need to go more towards the Me Too stuff, for instance. But with Natalie, she was great, but, you know, we need to go more towards the Me Too stuff rather than to work Game of Thrones, which I think is not what this particular interview is about, let's say. In, in actual case with her, she really wanted to talk about the, the Me Too stuff and all the kind of but stuff outside of acting as well, which is great. And where do you get your stories from? Is it a result of people pitching themselves to you or PRs pitching people to you? Or are you going out and actually finding the interviewees yourself? Uh, so Facebook groups are really good. There's lots of freelance Facebook groups that are really helpful. And that's journalists uh, pitching ideas or PRs pitching ideas? So there's some. Um, there are some groups where it's all just freelance journalists and some where PRs and journalists together and um, I'm not sure how, how much I can name them or talk about them because I'm a secret you kind of get inducted into them but there are certainly certain groups on Facebook where journalists and PR, PRs um, coexist in harmony and I don't see why we, we can't and um, and I feel like there's there's a bit of pitching in there isn't there the kind of PRs are pitching saying I've got certain clients what do they need to put in their pitch what is the thing which makes you go okay yes there is a profile piece in this I definitely want to know what they're promoting. Like Even if you don't think it will win you the profile, just be really upfront about that because if I have to come and ask you, I might not come and ask you. I need to yeah, just know why they're back in the public eye. What's the hook? Can I make what they're doing into a hook? Can I hook it to something else? Does it help if they do some research into what is topical right now and they can relate their story to what is topical? I think that's what's really helpful. It's worth thinking about the kind of personal stories actually which often the PR doesn't want to be getting out their celebrity and the celebrity doesn't want to be giving but unfortunately the best stories are the kind of you know my dad fell ill in my teen years and, mm. and I, I had to look after him for a year but then he was better like you know things which involve words like mum and dad and girlfriend and boyfriend or relationship type things because we all have those relationships in our lives as it brings that person to a level that we can understand 
Um, I know that makes the PR celebrity relationship a bit difficult sometimes. It's not what the celebrity always wants to do. It doesn't mean I'm going to go in and pry and ask them loads of difficult questions about their partner or whatever. But I think a willingness to understand that sometimes to get that profile, they need to have something that connects with a reader whose life is so much more ordinary and whose concerns are about the day-to-day. So trying to find that in your story. How it works, you take the you get a sense of the story, you suggest it to New Statesman, a New Statesman editor presumably takes it to a meeting and then they all have a big debate on whether it's a yes or no. Is that how it works? Yeah, I guess they put it on a list and, um, and get the okay from whoever. And um, I think you've got to justify it. So with, as, as with any website, they've got to think about how are people going to come to the story? Why would they come to it? Would it do well on social? Who does well on social for us? Is there research elements with Natalie Dormer as well? She kind, she kind of wanted to announce her breakup with her fiance for 11 years in that interview. I didn't write it on that line because it wouldn't have worked for the New Statesman. What I did do with that story though, was um, message my friend at the Mirror, where I used to work, um, before I went freelance, and I knew the story is like 1,200 words long. I knew the moment it was published, it would take a couple of hours for journalists to get through it, who are also on shift and working. And the breakup lines around Word 900. So it takes a while for that, that news hasn't really broken, because wow. I have not made it the top line. Told my friend and said, look, this is the line of that story, you're the first person to have it, because no one else would have got through the story yet. And so she wrote the story for the Mirror, Wow. angled on the breakup. And I knew she did it sensitively. Would that have got out so quickly to the media, do you think, with that with that newsline buried in line nine or whatever it was? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that would have got out if you hadn't have tipped off your Yeah, story? yeah, eventually, but it would have been that afternoon. And the thing is, if you have a story that goes up and takes time to do well, journalists are very, like, antsy creatures, and they, they don't want to wait for something to do well. They want it to do well immediately. So... I wanted to see it do well immediately. And also, I quite wanted my friend to have a, a story that did well. So I knew that hers would be the story that's breaking news and mine's the profile right through as well. So don't underestimate what a journalist would do to help that story along. We're not, hopefully not all just in it for ourselves. So she hopefully had quite a good day with that story. And once she broke it on the mirror, the Sun, the Mail, blah, 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 everyone, everyone does it. And then once the Sun and the Mail do it, it's international as well. and. Everyone covered that story. Every all international entertainment outlets covered it, and on the New Statesman, it was like on the front page for about three, four days, which is quite unusual for that kind of profile. Wow. But all the traffic was coming in because everyone had to link back to the story, which had the original. Because I did actually break news. I just didn't. I only told one person. So this it. is a rare case of where a profile piece, which is classed yeah. as a feature, can actually then lead into a news story. Yeah. So. I guess those old ideas of news comes first and feature comes second, you don't have to do it like that. I would really try and nurture those relationships with journalists, look at pieces that have been a bit unusual or a bit different, ask your client if they've been reading stuff, if there's something they liked the look of, or, or didn't understand, why did you do it that way? And, and if you feel, oh, I, I want to know as well, or can I work it out? I think if we all follow the same paths in digital, then your client's voice might get drowned out so what what natalie had was the kind of the high-end profile piece and the kind of thing that i would much rather write as well and that i'm best off writing but she also got that news broken for her on the same day kind of on her own terms so going 
back to the pitching, what is your hates or your likes about when PRs try and pitch an interview to you? I don't really have any hates. I think it's a tough job. I have a lot of sympathy for it. Um, in many ways, it's lots of similarities to my job. And, you know, I'm a freelance. I'm pitching all the time. Sometimes I've emailed and heard from an editor, thought, right, it's been three days or a week, whatever. Uh, follow up and they're like, oh, God, sorry, yeah, I really want this. So, like, human error. I've seen email inboxes with 50,000 unread emails. So I think, I think timing is really important. Timing and having an idea of what that celebrity would be prepared to give of themselves as well, which is a really blurred line. Are they willing to explore what the story is? Or do they, if they have, do they have a certain line? Often it's a celebrity really wanting a very specific thing that will put a journalist off, that will um, mean that you can't pitch to as many outlets as you want. And really seeing if they should be red lines or not before you even get in contact. And then if you know what story it is that you want them to tell, is it a social story? So is it a story that will provoke emotion? It might not be breaking news, but is it something that will while away a bit of time on a Saturday morning? That's when people go on Facebook or whatever on their mobile. Don't you find that Saturday mornings, if you're up, are either you're waiting or you're making someone wait, like that Saturday morning. So that's a really good time for people reading. Um, Sunday all day is a really good, great day for traffic because everyone else is free. So just having an idea of celebrity tells a story it might be these outlets that work and who is reading it who's that audience which is a big job for a PR to think about but I think PRs will generally have those skills to do it it's hard when you've not been in a newsroom and you've not seen analytics in front of you so you've got, they've got to put some emotion in they've got to say this is these yeah. are the juicy things they can talk about it's not just about their new perfume. there's so much content out there now um, you can really drown like your piece can drown it's not a case of there are five TV channels and seven newspapers and people buy the Times every week on a Sunday. Um, I could just flip over and read something else online. So what is it about your story? Like, think about pictures you have on offer as well. Um, what we really think about when, we, when I've trained journalists in-house is every story they write and there's one headline that's kind of the top of the story, but another one for social, which might be more about how the story's gonna make the reader feel. And then you'd have another picture for social, which is shown on the Facebook post or Twitter, which is usually the face and the expression. So say it's someone like Holly Willoughby, a lot of people love her because of, yeah, she's on morning chat show, she's a huge star. If you have a picture of her, people are like, oh, it's her ongoing saga of her life, what's going on? And her expression will tell them how she feels and then what the story's gonna be about. Does she look upset? Does she look happy? Does she look shocked? Because Philip Schofield often shocks her with his innuendo. Um, does she look shocked by the guest? It kind of tells you a lot about what you're going to get from the story. So I think trying to imagine that social post or what are people searching, that might help the PR with, with the pitch, actually. You mentioned timing was important. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, I think it's really important to look very honestly at what your celebrity or your, your client is doing and how newsworthy the activities might be on their own and then also how those activities might fit in to an ongoing trend so me too is grimly a bit of an opportunity for lots of female celebrities in lots of ways they don't have to say i've had an incident and i i'd say don't say that but to talk about how things should change or how like a louis ck who did some weird stuff but you know, are they allowed to come back? Are those male celebrities allowed to come back into the industry? Um, having points of view on that kind of thing, does it work with the kind of work they do? Um, 
the past kind of publicity as well. So even if you're, like, the client's activities on their own might not be breaking news, thinking of whether a story about them would fit onto a hashtag that's trending, almost. Because that's how people find content to consume now. Great tip. Have you got any examples of how there might be someone that wasn't necessarily in the public eye, and it was a sort of publicity-generated interview, but they really made it work by coming up with just a really good line for an interview, without, not just by being virtue of being a high-profile name. I think then we're talking about possibly a kind of real-life type story, which is when someone has really overcome, well, either, there's, there's two endings, like either the unhappy ending, something really terrible happened in someone's life, this awful news story, that, that's usually a news story, or, you know, something terrible happened, but I overcame it. And again, you're thinking in terms of something happened to someone's loved one, usually, to get a sense over to the reader how they would feel if it happened to them. So what would it feel like if my mum was diagnosed with cancer? How would I react if she then died years later after having a terrible time? Would I react by hiding away or doing this 5K run when I'd never had a run? So I know it doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world, someone does a 5K run after their mum dies of cancer, but it's in the conversation you'll have with them about exactly how they felt when their feelings changed, when they decided to go out that door and put the trainers on and go and do it, how the act of running itself really changed how they felt, because it does change your emotions, intriguingly. Um, You've got to have the interview with them, but it's the way they'll put it, and it'll be the metaphors they use. And it's I think it's always in those details that you only get by really talking to someone, having a conversation, that will make the story feel very true, and kind of, a person got through this terrible time by doing these things, okay, that's that's quite inspirational. And actually, newspapers, particularly a Daily Mirror or a tabloid, run a lot of those stories, and they don't pay badly if you get a double-page spread. So yeah, it doesn't have to be about celebrity all the time. It can be the power of the, the story itself. And what other publications do you do specifically the interviews for? I know you mentioned Raconteur. What's the kind of format for that? Yeah, so Raconteur is... Um, it's like a content agency that work with the Times and they create these reports, I think twice a week. Um, so you can never really like get in all of them as a journalist, there'll be a lot of work. And they, they write things like the future of advertising, that was the first one I was, I'd written a piece for. And then the future of data came out today. So they're, they're supplements in the middle of the Times, yeah, like a couple of times a week. And um, those pieces are looking for kind of expert comments. So I always speak to about three people for them. Um, you're looking to the future, so today's story was about the future of social media and data. You have Facebook, which looks like the kind of old guard of how they use data. They don't really tell you what they're using it for. Cambridge Analytica happened. Yeah, we, we don't want to have that again. And you have LinkedIn, which is very transparent, and says right, you're giving us all this data about your job and where you live and all your promotions and stuff over the years. And we're going to use it to make a graph. And this graph, we're going to say, right, th- these are the changes in the workforce. We're going to look at why it takes women longer to get to the C-suite, become CEOs, than men. And we're going to use this and consult with the World Economic Forum and the International Labour Organization and governments. And we're going to tell you all about this and publish reports. So to me, that's a much better way of using our data if you're going to use it. Um, so, so is this, these are features that you write and you yeah. weave in quotes? Or yeah. is it pieces that the experts don't write it themselves? It's you write it as a journalist, but you do an interview with an expert and they get their points of view in it's weaving it in really and that's why you always go for like three-ish because in 900 words that's quite a few experts but you want to try and have a bit of counterpoint 
if there is any. I think most people would agree that LinkedIn is using data in a much more um, clear way than the Facebook right now. So people are broadly agreeing, but they might have insight into kind of jargon. You know, I'm talking about going from advertising to data to possibly medical technology. So they can explain that data or they can say, from the trends I've seen so far, I think X, Y, Z is going to happen. So it's a case of like getting a sense of the future from them, but weaving into a narrative that I'm writing. And, and that's at a level that I can understand, which is a layperson compared to the experts that I'm speaking And to. do those experts go to you and say, here's my expertise, do you want to write about it? Or do you have a topic and then you try and find them? At the moment, because I've only done two stories, I've gone to find them. But off the back of the two stories I've done, I've had PRs come to me and suggest clients um, already. Because it's in the Times. And is that effective? Or is it a little yeah. bit of a stab in the dark? Yeah, um, one or two of them I've said, hold fire, this could be useful. Um, I won't respond if something isn't useful, but I won't be annoyed either, so try, why not? My email is on my Twitter bio, so thankfully the name like Sachandra Chakrabarti, they can find me. Um, I think always try, what's the worst a journalist going to do, just delete your email? And if someone is suggesting either their own expertise or they're suggesting the expertise of a client, if they're a PR, should they, you know, would you recommend they just get in touch and say, hey, my client's an expert on data, do you want to interview him? Or should they say, hey, my client's an expert on data and here's what he's going to say and then get those bullet points in there? Oh, that is good, isn't it? Um, yeah, try and get the bullet points in if possible. Um, even if you feel like it closes down certain avenues, think about where your client wants to be featured. Do they want to be the kind of villain of the piece because they only have these three points and they only ever say those three points? Or do they want the journalist to know what they're getting ahead of time? So I think, yeah, like let the journalist know what they're getting, who they can call upon. These things often become last minute. We all know what it's like, um, deadlines change and all of that. Um, I mean, I would go and research them. I would hope every journalist would do that. If you don't think it's going to be clear from their online kind of reputation and where they are online, yeah, put it in the email. What are you working on now? So I interviewed Terry Waite, famous Terry Waite, whose name I just remember from the news in the early 90s. So he's now 80 and he's had a book republished what was interesting with that interview, and this is where I think, I think about where your client is emotionally and, and what they're doing, because you can let them go a bit. Like obviously, Terry's been doing this for a long time. He kept mentioning his dad quite early on in our conversation, so we were able to go back to the start. Where were you born? Which often with Terry Waite, you don't get that bit of the story. You go straight to his time in captivity. But I had to for this piece. And I just noticed he kept mentioning his dad, which is always, when it's a parent, I always find it very interesting. And I think it's because he's writing a new book. But it's just what sort of said, you know, your dad was a local police officer and there wasn't a lot of crime in your village where you lived. So he did a lot of negotiation. Do you, do you see the parallels with your job as a hostage negotiator? And he started a little emotional and he was like, oh yeah, I see that. And it's moments like that which I think not only make a really great rapport between the, the interview and the journalist, which will lead to a great interview, but also that's a great pattern to find in the story as well. And I think it's about letting your client know not to be afraid of things like that. Obviously, if they feel it emotionally delicate to talk about their father who died three weeks ago, then of course, it's too soon, don't talk about it. Um, there's a level where openness at that level will get you to an interview that comes off the page. So the editor has come back to me and said she's, she's so happy with it, she's really pleased. Editors don't often do that. 
and and it's not really just because of me it's because of the rapport because the person I was interviewing wanted to be open in that sense as well so I can't take all the credit for it um, but there's one thing PRs could do to kind of um, prepare their client is to think about where can you be emotionally open and still feel safe because they are your client you want to look after them can you take that interview there because it the emotional power will make the stories stay with the reader what do you say there are a lot of people that are scared of journalists you know they're going to be interviewed and they have this I think you know people have this image it's going to be a Jeremy Paxman type grilling so what do you um what do you say to people that are scared or that you know they think that you as an interviewer are going to ask nasty questions what do you say to those people well you have the right to say no to anything that you want um you have the right to leave as well i don't think these days it's that much of a story to walk out of an interview even if it is it might be around the world in 20 minutes but they'll be knocked off the news agenda by something else in 30 minutes if people start telling you i don't want to talk about this or i don't want to talk about my business figures i don't want to talk about my that facebook incident that happened 10 years ago or whatever do you react okay to that or is that sometimes kill i haven't story? really had much of that and i think it's because my style is very relaxed and um yeah i'd, I'd I would probably move quite far away from that thing they're talking about, but it would I'd be I'd be thinking about it, and I would be circling. I'd be circling back towards why they reacted like that, because these interviews they're not the end of the world, and so if someone is reacting like that, that is a bit interesting. Mm. Um, I've, because I do PR and for individuals, and I often have the case where someone wants a high-profile piece in places like the New Statesman, which you write for, and they want their business mentioned, but they'll say, oh, no, no, I don't want to talk about my personal life and my personal story. It's got to all be about the business. And I say, well, it's not going to be a profile interview then. So do you ever get any of that? And is there a way around it? I haven't so far. So I don't think you get that many people saying that anymore, because like, digital comms is part of all of our lives. Before it used to be media like journalists they, they do all the comm stuff and they're over there with the prs and and they do their own thing but now everyone knows a bit about how to tell a story and how to get a message across um if someone has really strong feelings i would number one as the pr like really keep them away from a journalist i would be very intrigued i wouldn't be cognitive that's never my style but i would be trying to walk back to why why are they showing a journalist emotions where they feel like something very big is at stake here that that's not very smart on the yeah on a client who wants to keep something hidden but if you're reeling me in with personal tales of how you've triumphed over something that's going to be the narrative thread of this profile and your big whoopsie that you want to cover up isn't going to be this i i think think about even just sit down and think about like who the hell is this journalist think about what journalism is now like research a journalist as hard as they're researching you what's my deal what's my byline who have i interviewed what did i do with those interviews what do they do with these stories what are the endings like do i have a sting in the tail some profiles have this ah oh, they walked out the room but also for female clients do they talk about their appearance now i never do i oh. She sat down with the legs tucked underneath her and only women, only female yeah. interviewees get that. It's so boring, it's such a male gaze. I would say if someone is, if a client is worried, 
Google the absolute hell out of this journalist. Find out as much as you can. I wouldn't worry too much. I Yeah, people still say to me, like, I was a bit scared, I was a bit nervous. Um, I'm not going to get a good story out of you if I make you feel more nervous. So I'm not trying to do that ever. But and like you say, it is the, it's the personal story and it's often, that is the, the very thing which will get them publicity, which is the personal story, is often the very thing that they don't want to talk about. And that is often the dilemma. It's worth, I mean, it's a bit, it's, it's a bit counselling-y what the PR is doing with the client, if you're talking about personal stories, and sometimes what my, my interview is as well. And I think it's about having really strong boundaries around what you're willing to say about these personal things, what you will put in the public eye and what you won't. But refusal to talk about anything personal makes it very hard to write a story at all. It's definitely one for PR to sit down and, and it's so tough, I can imagine. This is how journalists work. This is what stories look like. This is, I mean, it's a bit of media education, which I think needs to be done in schools now because we're all publishers, but they want this level of personal from you for this reason. Let's let's work on what you're happy with and what you're not. Do you, do you find that coming yeah. up? Yeah, totally. It's and you know, and as an ex-journalist, that's where I have that advantage because I know what the media angles are. So I used to, as a journalist, I used to think, well, it must be really easy to be a PR because you just kind of like this is how you need to pitch it. But now what I find is that being on the PR side, it's actually the clients don't want. They have boundaries. So mm-hmm. I was thinking like a journalist. Well. This is what you have to do to get into the media, but actually the client has their own ideas. They say, no, I want to get a front page on the on Forbes magazine talking about my business, but hey, I'm not going to talk about the tough challenges of becoming an entrepreneur because that's too personal. So mm. sto- there's no story. So they're never going to get on the front page of Forbes. That is the challenge. I think I think it's pretty hard to be a PR in many ways than journalists. Obviously, I don't know as much about the PR industry, but one thing you have over journalists is that generally you're working with someone outside of your industry like continually whereas journalists tend to work with other journalists and so yeah we do have a sense of of course you want to be in the media and you know exactly how to get in it's having this personal story and presenting like this whereas the PR as a PR you know with your client yeah they, they don't know how it works and that's normal to not know how the media works it's completely normal for someone outside of this industry to not know. Thanks for listening to The Media Insider, the podcast helping PRs, journalists and anyone who wants to raise their media profile. Please do share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're in PR and you need some skills training or you're a professional and you want to raise your own profile, then do drop me a line either on Twitter or through HelenCroydon.com.